Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. If you or a loved one gets hurt, you'll want a faster road to recovery. At Leia Healthcare's Urgent Care Clinics, you'll be seen by a consultant-led team in 60 minutes or less for injuries including breaks, burns and bubumps. Switch now at leiahealthcare.ie. Always a beat ahead for you and your family with urgent care in 60 minutes or less. Insurance provided by Elips Insurance Limited trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Urgent care clinics available to all aged 12 months and over. Wellbeing benefits available to Leia Healthcare members. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. Welcome to an extra episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined by Wayne Barnes, the recently retired international rugby referee who obviously took charge of the World Cup final between the All Blacks and South Africa just last month. And Wayne has a new book out called Throwing the Book, looking back on his refereeing career and plenty more. And I'm delighted to have him with me today to chat through that and so much through his career. Wayne, how are you? Very well, thanks, Will. Um, enjoying what's actually a bright, sunny day over in uh, in Twickenham um, and still enjoying you know, what I guess is a little bit of freedom from the weekends as Everyone else is piecing their t- themselves together, whether that be players or, or referees, after a bruising uh, weekend in either the URC or the Premiership. I've um, I had my feet up going to watch the kids play a bit of football. Yeah, I'm sure it's been an interesting couple of weeks for you. You know, going from the World Cup final as your final ever match to kind of stepping away completely. You know, I suppose when we when we watch referees, we watch them on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday night, and we don't really think too much maybe about what their the Monday to Friday is like. You know, for people who wouldn't be that aware like when when you're an international referee what does your week look like you know we know what players weeks look like in terms of you know their training their preparation for a referee starting on a Monday up to the big kickoff for a huge international game on a Saturday what's that like it, it is interesting Will that most people think you know we uh, we turn up you know three o'clock on a Saturday get our whistle out of our little Tupperware box and then go and ruin someone's afternoon and jump in the car and they're on the way home but you said around the players it's it's very similar uh, to the players particularly in England where you know, we're all employed by the RFU and um you know there are there are nine of us who are professional referees and we get together every monday um we'll all drive in from around the country so you have you know i i get the shortest trip because we all get together in twickenham so i jump on the bus uh but you have people like you know Matthew Carley coming over from Kent Luke Pierce coming um up from um, Exeter, we'll meet meet on a Monday. It'll be a, a training session on a Monday. You know, a bit of um, you know, kind of rehab and making sure that we're all ready for the weekend. Uh, uh, the week ahead, there'll be a review of the game with our our small team. So the three or four of us who've worked together, uh, you know, identifying things that gone well, working on things that we need to improve for the weekend, and feeding that back into the clubs. 
Um, and then um, Tuesday will be, you know, our, our hard training day is usually, um, you know, something out on the, the car park in Twickenham. There's this big area of grass and, you know, some some shuttle runs, some report, repeated sprints. You know, there's some there's some ugly scenes um, on, on a match day out in the West Car Park of Twickenham, but there's some even uglier scenes on a training day with some of the referees. Um, so a big training day on, on the Tuesday. Again, then what we would call our, like our weekly wrap-up meeting where, you know, if I'd done a game, I'd feedback on what that game looked like, what the challenges would look like, um, what people can expect for the week after. And then, you know, Christoph Ridley would do the same, Carl Dixon do the same, Tom Foley do the same. So all of a sudden you're getting these, the five games from the Premiership all fed in. So you've got this kind of all the information about games washing around. Then you can go away. You've already started to do your prep because you've you've you know what the games might look like the week ahead and then we're we're off back home on a on a tuesday a lot of us take wednesday off uh wednesday would be you know our day off like the teams would get a day off and um, that used to be when i was a refereeing that would be my day i would go in as a lawyer and then thursday and friday again you're, you're training you're building towards um the weekend you're starting to do your prep and you might be traveling you know if you're got a European game often traveling on a Friday game on a Saturday so there is that kind of um you know that regularity to what a week looks like um and you know and what we're lucky at in in England is that we do get together every single week you know to to prep and to review um and to drive our standards forward yeah and when you're taking on specific teams at a weekend say you know the World Cup final all black South Africa you know people know they like to do certain things they might try to stretch certain boundaries. Do you go into matches and and do you do you want to be aware of what certain teams like to do, or do you like to come in, or did you like to come in with kind of fresh eyes and kind of see things then and there, or like are you like oh so this team likes to do this that is kind of maybe a little dodgy at the break, and so I'm really going to be looking at that, or do you like to just say oh I've seen this now, kind of man, I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. If you get me, um, yeah, it's it's a really good question, Will, and it's one that you often get like asked or even you know suggested that you might be going in with preconceived ideas. Um, but I, I, I really like to prepare thoroughly and not, not just on my own, you know, it's not just what my eyes see, but I'll use ex-international kind of coaches um, about what the game might look like. I will use um, uh, the ex-England scrum coach, Phil Keith Roach, to make sure I know what the scrums might look like. So I'm getting experts' eyes, the same as, you know, Leinster will have a scrum coach, a line-out coach, you know, a breakdown coach. You want, you want to bring those expertise into your game. And the reason I do it isn't just to go, ha I know, you know, the the number seven always kind of um, gets away with one and will come in, come in at the side at the odd breakdown. It's for two reasons. One, so I've seen things before. So if, for example, let's take that, let's take that, um, the World Cup final. Fafter Clerk kicks off his left foot. Why do I want to see that? Because um, that, that affects my positioning. You don't want Faf kicking it as you're standing right next to his left foot straight into the back of your head. You want to stay out of the way. You want to know that, you know, at certain situations, uh, you know, Richie and Moango will like a little dink, uh, dink uh, kick over the top. So I can say to the, to the video referee in the background, just make sure everyone's on side on those so we don't have to stop the game. So we can kind of continue um, with that, you know, with that momentum in the game rather than stopping after a try and saying, can you just check that whether he was on side? We've already pe- prepared for that. So we've prepared for lots of eventualities, which might, which might not ha- happen, but we're ready to add, you know, add tempo into the game. And then there's the second reason to do it is to prevent things happening. That the best games will, the best games which I, I I think I watch or I've been involved in are games that don't stop. 
you know, and if you take the quarterfinal, amazing quarterfinal between Ireland and um, and New Zealand, or you take the, the Six Nations game between um, Ireland and France, the ball was in play uh, 47 minutes for the Six Nations game and 43 and a bit uh, minutes for the, the quarterfinal. And those games, I don't know about you, but I watch them back and I smile when I watch them. When I think about them, I smile because they were amazing games of rugby. But one of the reasons why they were amazing games of rugby is because they didn't stop. They had continuity. They had momentum. And the referee can add value to that because if they can go into a change room or they can speak to a coach and a lead up to the week and saying, look, in the line out, you know, I know you get your setup a bit sloppy now and again. So any chance you can just work on this this week? Yeah, would love to. Thanks. Thanks, Barnsley. We can work on that. All of a sudden, there's two penalties less that I have to give. If there's a situation where, you know, you get box kicks and, um, you know, and Conor Murray is, you know, kind of about to li- uh, lift the ball and kick it in the air. And I've seen three or four times that James Lowe is in front of the ball. As an example, I can say, look, um, you know, I can speak to Mike Cat and I can say, look, Mike, can you just get James Lowe to give him me? Of course we can, Barnsley. Then again, you've got one less penalty, one less stoppage and more enjoyable uh, for the fans. So that's the reason why I do it. One, to make sure I've seen things. And second, so I can stop blowing my whistle. Um, what sort of dialogue do you have with, you know, the coaching staffs before the game? Is there a mechanism where they can come to you or is there some sort of dialogue that they can be like, oh, you know, Team X, our opponents like to do this. Like, can you be make sure you're really hot on that? Or or like, is, is there some sort of dialogue that, that, that takes yeah. place like that? Yeah, so in the lead up to the premiership matches and international matches, coaches have the ability to... Um, to usually now in the, in the days of Zoom to jump on a Zoom call. But if you're in the same, you know, kind of hotel or in the same vicinity of, of a match, you might get together early in the week, just talk to, through some of those issues. As, as I said, you know, what kind of game are you going to play? Are there any trick moves you're going to play? Do, where do you, do you need me out of the way in a certain situation? Yeah, here you are, here you are Barnsley. If you could just be aware that at the line-out move in Ireland were the best one of these, you know, those trick plays off backs of line-outs. The amount of times I got absolutely flattened, usually by Rob <laughs> Kearney, who would, by the end of his career would just say, look, Barnsley, if you could just stand by about the outside centre, that would be perfect for me. Because you want to get out of the way. So um, th- those kind of um, those kind of little conversations great. And they might pick up something on the opposition, say, you know, uh, the last you know three games we've played them, um, have a look at their back row. They break early and tackle our nine. And the great thing about that, I can say, thanks, I'm going to go and tell the opposition so they stay on the scrum. And then all of a sudden, both teams have got what they want. You know, the the team who've raised it with me have got the back row staying on the scrum. And the, you know, the, the team who might offend are not going to give away a penalty. Now, some people will say, well, why don't you just blow your whistle? Well, back to that philosophy. I don't want to blow my whistle. I want the game to flow and I don't want people to give away offences. And are those meetings kind of interesting because obviously like some of the international coaches, very, you know, big names in the sport and they're probably really trying to sell you on there what they think the opposition is doing as well. You obviously want to listen to it and be cognizant of it, but you also you must probably take it with a pinch of salt as well because they're ultimately trying to get an advantage as well by chatting to you. Um, but I think if you go down the route of, okay, well, you show me a few clips of that and they show you a few clips of it, you can't argue. You know, if someone's offside, someone's offside. If if someone, um, you know, isn't rolling away, they isn't rolling away. But what I can do is I can pass that message on and say, look, let's, you know, let's try and improve that for this weekend so you don't get games with 30 penalties. Now, if a coach says to me, you know, there's 10 occasions where they close the gap at the line out and I'm like, can you show me some? And they say, well, we haven't actually got them. Then I might go, well, when, when you've got a couple, 
um, you know, show me. But also, like the, the prep that we do, you know, and the, I mentioned, you know, some of the, the work that I do, I'm always disappointed if the coach raises something that I haven't already kind of clocked. Um, yeah. And some of it is just like, yeah, I agree with you. I've already raised it. So that that idea of just understanding why we do our prep, you know, is really important. We do it to make sure that we can add value and we can blow our whistle a little bit less. What's it like in, in the heat of kind of the closing stages of, say, a World Cup final, a World, that World Cup quarterfinal, the Ireland All Blacks game, where like you know that like if you blow your whistle here, it will decide the game. It will ultimately maybe give a winning penalty or or the losing of it. Like that must be. I just from a human level, it must be different in your head, or when you're standing over at that rook versus if it's like the first minute of a Premiership game in the middle of the season. Like, is like what is it like being in that moment when you know ultimately a World Cup final comes every four years? It's your last ever game of rugby. The All Blacks are looking for that winning penalty, and you know, like in the back of your head, you must know, God, if I blow this whistle here, it'll be the most scrutinised decision of my entire career. Um, again, like a, a, a great question, and. Something I thought about for perhaps the last four or five years of my career. Um, and as soon as I start thinking about that during a game, I actually, on the back of my hand, I will write the word reset. Because you can't think about that, in short, as a ref. Um, what you've got to think about is every decision with a clear head. And as soon as you start thinking, you know, I've, I've stood on halfway lines beforehand as I've given a kick going, oh, I hope he misses this, or I hope she, you know, shanks this because I don't want to have given the last last minute uh, penalty um i've in the past um kind of given a card and then go oh i wonder if i'll find another one against an, an opposition player um to, to level things up as soon as you start thinking like that your mind is drifting and as a what i've learned over the last 10 years is like you referee at the best when you have a clear mind and so in those a really good example during that Last, what was it, six minutes of play in that, that quarter final? The ball, I think uh, Johnny Sexton drop kicked the ball in from the 22 at 76 minutes, and eventually the ball went dead on 82 minutes. And in that last six minutes, I was literally saying to myself, I- I've been here before. I know what this feels like. Just referee every single breakdown. And that's why I do think there's an element of you need to get some scars on your back, like teams do, like coaches do. You need those experiences. And Remember, Will, that was my fifth World Cup and, I don't know, 20-odd kind of World Cup game. So you you definitely you definitely need that kind of, that resilience of having been there before, um, whether that be, you know, big European games, big Six Nations games, but just knowing that, yeah, I, I know what this feels like. I, I can deal with this. Well, that's just the one thing you hadn't ticked off the list until the final was doing a final. You'd done like every other big game, you know, loads of times. Was there anything about that occasion or, or you know doing the biggest game in rugby that maybe surprised you or was it a little more difficult dealing with that occasion than you maybe envisaged and it's people say is is that the you know the biggest game is that the pinnacle the, the problem is you can't control it um so you know england were 2 minutes away from you know being in that world cup final and me not being involved in it we you know which and i know what england fans would have much preferred um <laughs> Um, but on Andre Pollard have you know diff- differing kind of uh, thoughts um, on that evening. So you, you definitely have mixed emotions um, around um, you know as that ball sails through the posts. You know you know that England who've worked so hard you know are now not going to be in the final. But I was delighted to be able to represent England and also to have a, an English team of officials with me. You know with Carl and Matthew on the touchline, Tom in Tom in a box, and Luke on on uh, on the sideline. So. 
Um, that that was extremely special. But it was back to that point in that that team of four had worked together so often. You know, we'd done uh, Champions Cup finals, we'd done Six Nations games, we'd done Premiership matches, we'd done Premiership finals. We knew each other inside out. So this, what we had to get into our mind was, yes, of course, this was an amazing occasion. Yes, of course, um, there's a lot of history, and you know, and 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 history will be written for on games like that. But we knew what our job was, and it was to referee those moments individually, and it was to try and add momentum to the game. So the actual preparation for the game was a lot more straightforward because that, that's the first time ever that you've had a team who've worked together so regularly and um, working together in a World Cup final. So yes, of course, you have to appreciate and, and acknowledge the, the magnitude of it, but that that can't swallow you up. That can't kind of become something you become fearful of. Yeah, just be just to get some opinions on the Irish refereeing Irish teams or the the current Irish team. Obviously, that quarterfinal was such an amazing game. You know, Andrew Porter got penalized a couple of times with a scrum. I suppose it was a bit of a focus on that over here. Like, was that something you went into thinking during before the game, thinking, okay, Andrew Porter scrums a certain way, and when I look at that, or like, what did you see at those scrums that you decided um, to penalize Ireland? That was really interesting. That, um, I remember the, the briefings. Um, I think it was the 25th time I'd refereed Ireland and the 24th time I'd refereed New Zealand uh, in that quarterfinal. I think my words to them in, in the in the in the change rooms or the sheds, as the Kiwis call them, was you know. So today I have two of the most positive, if not the most positive, scrumming sides in the world. And you'll recall I refereed that game, um, the Wellington game, um, the third test down in New Zealand last July, where the scrums were extremely positive that day. Um, but again, going you know going back to what I said, you know, you go in and you 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 paint the pictures of what what looks right and what looks wrong, and you work with. Um, I had my own scrum coach and Phil Keith Roach, but during the tournament, we also had um, a scrum coach within within our team. Um, so you're looking at those pictures and, you, and you, you're those reminders to the teams of this is when it goes really well. You know, this is what you do really well. But you still have to referee each scrum on its merits, and, and on that day. Um, I, I didn't think the scrums went kind of as I'd seen them before, and you penalise what you see, and 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 I think there were two or three penalties against Andrew on that day. Yeah, and you know, refereeing Ireland generally, obviously Johnny Sexton was the captain for a long time. You know, there was a lot of focus over here when he first became the captain about his dealings with referees. He, you know, he could often be quite you know short with them, not maybe quite as regal and stately as some other captains over the years. But I think it maybe improved as as. Is kind of captaincy went on, but generally, how did you find refereeing Johnny Sexton? Such a kind of he can be quite a fiery personality. Like, did you find him more difficult than some other people to be kind of referee? I think what's been great about the Six Nations over the last um, I don't know dozen years, isn't it? Is th- three kind of leaders of three of the most successful teams. You know, have been the number ten in you know in Johnny and Dan and in Owen, and they're very similar personalities in that. You know they are desperate to win. They are the centre pin of um, each of each of those teams. Yeah, and, and often you know they they want to tell you when they think they've been wronged. Um, and I've always said this about Johnny is that he's often right when he raises something with you, even though he's standing thirty meters away from a breakdown. He might be well. What about the the first offence there, Barnsley? And I'm like, you might be right. But the one the one thing I, I I constantly said to all of those three characters, and I'll continue to say is. There will be times when I get things wrong, you know, the same as there will be times when, as tens, you'll miss a kick at goal. Um, I can put my hands up and say, look, yeah, you might be right. 
but there's nothing else I can then do. It's not that I can, you know, kind of, um, you know, roll that back or to use a, a JP Doyleism, have a mulligan, you know, I, I've made my decision. We have to move on, you know? And um, so that was a bit, which I would always say to those three players in particular, like you can keep asking me, but I'm at some point I've got to stop the conversation and move on because you can say, I thought the player was offside. I, I can only say I, I, I'm not sure. Or I don't know. And if I, if I did know, I'm sorry if I've got it wrong. Um, but that's it. We have to move on. We've got to get on with the game, back to the momentum of the game. And I, and I think that's a bit which all of those three players have learned over time. Hmm. Quickly on the, on the TMO bunker at the World Cup, obviously it was brought in. It was a new thing, maybe to speed up the game, to take potentially some pressure off her freeze, having to make the big decisions then and there. How did you find it as a, as, as kind of a working thing during the tournament? Did you find it helped you as a referee? Did you think it helped the game as, as a product? Or do you think maybe it's worth maybe not persisting with going forward. So I think it's important to, you know, kind of explain why it was brought in. You, you touch upon them, Will, but two main reasons. Um, one is um, to, you know, we've seen games, you know, acro- across, you know, all the competitions where there's potential foul play um, and then we stick a head contact up on the screen and you get six, seven, eight replays. Um, now, actually, two things on that. First of all, I don't think that's a great look for the game. I don't think we want to be showing players being, you know, kind of um, hit in the head repeatedly. I don't think that shows our game off in the best light. Of course, these things happen, but I don't think we should constantly kind of air it. So I think there's that element of just, you know, let's take those bits off the screen and show the wonderful bits of skill of the game. But also... We want the game to start again. We don't want, or did, did it did it brush his, uh, brush his or her chin, or you know, was that in the chest first and then sliver? Oh, can we show a different angle? Have you got any cameras from behind? So you can be standing there, you know, for three or four minutes, and that's 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 dead time if you're sitting in the Aviva, if you're or if you're sitting at home. That's an opportunity to flick the channel. So we want to get the game going, and we don't want to constantly see those he- um, those, those those dangerous tackles if they occur. So that was the first reason. And then the second reason, and you know, I, I can I experienced, I remember the, the the one occasion where I experienced it more than any was between France versus South Africa in November 22, when um we were looking at potential sending off DuPont. Um and the noise from the crowd was like it, it literally sat on you. You know, it was so overwhelming that you're like, whatever I do now, I'm I'm in a difficult situation. I could send off the French captain, which I did, and then the noise is going to follow me for the rest of the game. Or I could not send off the French captain and South Africa would there, therefore have a right to say, well, how can you not send them off? You've just tackled someone in the air and he's landed on his head. So what the idea of the bunker was, was to take that pressure off the field and allow someone sitting um, in the, you know, the relatively calmness of a studio or a bunker to have eight minutes to look at it, so they get more time. They don't have that external pressure of noise, um, and to get the game going again, which I thought was a really strong idea. Um, of course, we're you know we're only what were we in? We we've done two tournaments with the under twenties down in South Africa, and now uh, the World Cup. So of course, there's bits that need tweaking, and I think the one thing that rugby needs to constantly look at is how do we communicate with our fans, whether that be the fans in a stadium to make sure they know what's going on, or the fans at home so they know what's going on. But do I think we should check it out after trialing it for two tournaments? Without doubt, not. Hmm. 
And for your own future, you know, we've seen various referees step away and, and go into kind of coaching staffs like Jerome Garces, who refereed the previous World Cup final, went in with France. I think Roman Poit is in with Toulon, and there's been other cases of referees doing it. It seems like a, a good idea from a, a, you know, a national team's perspective. Like, which is that something you'd like to do, or are you happy to maybe you know focus on your legal career and, and leave rugby, I suppose, in, in the rearview mirror? Um, it's 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 really nice to be having those conversations at the moment with you know lots of different sports and lot lots of you know lots of different opportunities. Um, but I'm definitely um, going to go back to my law firm, Squire Patton Boggs, which also has a has an office in Dublin now. Will just so you know, um, so I'll, I'll be over there. I'm sure during the Six Nations. Um, because they've they've given a lot of trust and dedicated a lot of effort and time in me, so I want to make sure I, I repay that. Um, I'm sure I'll stay involved in sport in some capacity, whether that's rugby or whether that's ever sport. I'm not quite sure yet. And that's you know I'm I think it's I think it's 31 days um, since the World Cup final. It's the 28th of November today, and it was the 28th of October in the World Cup. So it's still pretty fresh. Um, but the one thing I, I will always be is an advocate of officials, whether that be you know rugby officials, cricket umpires, football referees, um, to make sure that people understand that our job is quite difficult, but also understand that we're humans um, and humans get things wrong. But that doesn't mean that humans should be able to be abused. Yeah, and it's an important part of your book as well. I encourage anyone who gets a copy of uh, throwing the book to have a read of that part of it. It's really awful what, what some officials have to go through or, or most officials probably unfortunately in this day and age but now I just have one last question for you I know you're, you're catching a train shortly so I don't want to, to keep you too much longer but I want to ask you about one game you did early in your international refereeing career it was before the 2007 World Cup it wasn't even televised Ireland versus Bayonne it was this warm-up game and a long time ago now that's a, your, your memories I don't know how clear they are but it's kind of an infamous game for this like kind of bloodbath that ensued and Bayonne obviously didn't mind roughing up Ireland a bit, given the World Cup was in France that year. I think Brian Driscoll ended up with a with a broken cheekbone. Was it was it as kind of aggressive and physical and somewhat lawless, I suppose, than it's been made out to be over the years? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it, this isn't like one of those urban myths. This this was reality. Um, in that you know, I, well, there's there's two things about it. Well, first of all, um, that the game was pretty brutal, and there's there wasn't a TMO. So people who now tell me, get rid of the TMO, they ruin the game. I'm like, go and watch Ireland versus Bayon, mate, and tell me if you agree with that. Um, and the first thing about it, I was just, first of all, I was surprised with the game. You know, it was Ireland versus a French team. And you'll recall in 07, in Ireland's group was France. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd, I'd refereed some battles. I remember refereeing Munster versus Leinster down in Musgrove Park once and saying to and I think it was after 07 World Cup, but I remember saying to, I think it was um, probably Paul O'Connell and, and Leo who was playing for Lentz at the time, look, that's enough, fellas. You've got to stop smacking each other now. You've made your point. But during this game in Bayonne, it was kind of like every opportunity there was to smack someone, someone smacked someone. And um, I, I, Driscoll did say to me, and I think he said it recently on um, on BT, oh, sorry, not BT, on, on TNT Sport. He said, like, I said to Barnsley, if you know, if you don't sort this out, someone's going to get hurt. And unfortunately, it was him who went off with, um, as he said, a fractured cheekbone. But what what shocked me, and it was kind of slightly ironic, was in the lead up to this World Cup, um, got my appointments through for the um, for the pre World Cup games, and one game was Ireland versus Samoa in Bayonne. 
And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you weren't the only one thinking that. <laughs> um, but actually, that was, it was you know, it was, a, it was a really enjoyable game, actually. You know, Samoa um, played extremely well that game and Ireland got a few of their, um, their, their youngsters coming through and were really challenged. I think Ireland scored in the last couple of minutes. Um, and Bundy Aki played, you know, extremely well, you know, as he carried on through the rest of the tournament playing. But it, it did bring a smile to my face when I saw that appointment in Bayonne. I thought, must be a spelling mistake here. It's got to be in the Inviva or down in um, down in Cork or something. But no, it was Bayonne. So as I, as I turned up to the pitch, I was like, yeah, I remember this place. As I said at the start, throwing the book, Wayne Brand. Book. Looking back on his refereeing career is out now in all good book jobs. Wayne, thanks so much for joining me.